and thank him. He's the one that will preserve your soul. Amen, amen. We are so delighted to have each of you with us here this morning on this another beautiful day that the Lord has granted us. And I mean it is beautiful out there. And it's beautiful in here. What a sweet and glorious presence of the Lord that fills this house this morning. And we want to welcome you into his presence. Again, as Sister Goldsberry has already pointed out, be sure and invite someone to come out next Sunday morning and be a part of the services here as Brother Dave and Sister Benita Peterson come and, and minister to us in song and in word. You will be blessed. They're just, uh, I'm telling you, you'll be blessed. So plan on being here. Invite someone to come out and be a part of that service next Sunday morning. Amen, amen, amen. For the most part, our concept of being fishers of men from a biblical perspective is somewhat skewed by our Western culture. You see, our idea of fishing for the most part is baiting a hook or using some type of alluring bait to attract the fish. When we consider fishing, we imagine grabbing our favorite rod reel, whether it be a Zebco or a Shimano or whatever, and jumping on a boat and finding a good spot and placing some bait on that line and casting that thing out as far as we can cast it out and start messing around with it and see what to go for it. And for you anglers, that's a world of fun. In fact, a good fisherman, they tell me, I'm not a good fisherman, so I'm just telling you what I'm told, a good fisherman will choose his spot to fish by the type of fish he wants to catch. Now please understand, this does not illustrate the biblical concept of becoming fishers of men. For those of you that are standing, not seated yet, don't faint. This does not depict or illustrate the biblical concept of becoming fishers of men. When Jesus taught or used a fishing illustration, it primarily involved the concept of either casting a net or lowering a net from a boat into the water. They didn't have Zebcos back then, nor Shimanos. You may have found a cane pole once in a while, but... You see, Jesus did not call, call us to choose the fish, nor did He call us to bait the fish that we think will be the most effective, or choose the bait which we think will be most effective in luring them in. Jesus called us to cast the net of our testimony and our witness into the sea of humanity and let the net catch what He will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for this another grand and glorious opportunity that we have to come together here in your holy presence. Lord, as we just feel your awesome and glorious power and presence permeating in this place today, we ask you 
to bless your word. As we come to this time of the service, to the ministry of your word, we pray that you'll just anoint these lips and this vessel today as I present myself to you as a vessel and an instrument for your glory and for your purpose. And I pray you will anoint each of us to receive as your word goes forth today and we'll give you the thanks and the praise for it all. It is in the name of Jesus that we ask it today. Now before you're seated, I want you to look at someone close by you and tell them, Boats, say it, Boats, Nets, Fish, and Faith. And you can be seated. Casting your net of witness. I read about the mo this most famous as the story tells, a famous motion picture theater, the most famous in all the world, is a place called Grauman's Chinese Theater. And in, since May, of eight, May the 18th of 1927, this renowned Hollywood cinema has known, known as what is known now as Man's Chinese Theater, has hosted the film industry's greatest stars in their finest roles. And since the theater's debut, more than 150 film personalities have embedded their footprints, their handprints, their signatures, and their personal comments in the specially prepared concrete that lies at the theater's entrance. Now, you're probably wondering, what in the world does all that have to do with fishing? Well, I said all of that to simply illustrate to you, in a similar fashion, there was a place in the memories of the disciples where Jesus made a permanent impression etched in their mind to never be forgotten. A place where Jesus put his hands and his feet and words in the wet cement of their lives and made an imprint so deep and so profound it would be forever mold, it would forever mold their lives. Amen. You see, the scene begins on the damp sands. And I'm preaching this morning from Luke chapter 5. I really love you following me in your Bibles. If you'd like to go there, we'll be using some passages from Luke chapter 4 and chapter 5. But the scene begins on the damp sands of the Lake Gennesaret, where Simon, James, and John were cleaning their nets after a long night of unproductive fishing. Probably nothing more frustrating to these professional fishermen than to have to come back in and clean their nets after a long night of unproductive fishing. Now let me inject this bit of history before I proceed. This famous body of water in Galilee is called by three names you'll find in your Bible. It's called by the Sea of Galilee, it's called by the Sea of Tiberias, and also the Lake Gennesaret. Now, just for a little history, it is 13 miles long by 8 miles wide. Not a huge body of water, but big enough that you, you know, it, 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 it has some importance. It lies in a dip in the earth's surface, and it lies 680 feet below sea level. Nowadays, it's, uh, it's really not very heavily populated around there, but however, in the days of Jesus, it had... Nine townships clustered around its shores, none of which was populated less than 15,000 people. So it was a pretty well-known place, and it was pretty well populated, and it was pretty busy. Genezaret is really the name of the lovely and fertile piece of land that lies on the west side of the lake, just uh, for your own information. Now, for many weeks, 
As this scene progresses, the Galilean countryside had been abuzz with the news of a buddy new prophet on Israel's history, a man who spoke with boldness and authority, a man who really was, was, was setting the crowds at all, a man who was referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. The Bible says in verses 31 and 32 of Luke chapter 4, Then he went down to Capernaum a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Not only did Jesus' message have authority, it had power to go along with it as well. Amen. In fact, the subsequent exorcism of a demon had arrested everyone's attention and a compelling display of that power. Here's what the Bible says in verse 36 and 37. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is, for with authority and power He commands the unclean spirits, and they come out, and the report about Him went out into every place in the surrounding region. They were just not accustomed to this type of authority and this type of power in ministry and in word. This was new to them. It was something that was very unusual to them. And here's this man blazing the trail like no one had ever blazed the trail before. And he's preaching to them with authority and power and healing the sick and doing all of these things. And it would just had had the place that was a buzz. And as a result, the next morning, the place was a buzz with a multitude of people that had gathered around Jesus. Some because they had needs. Some because of curiosity. Some because they were drawn to Him by His words and by His speech and by His authority. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5 and verses 1 through 3, So it was as the multitude pressed about Him. To what? To hear the Word of God. They were hungry. They were desirous. They wanted to hear this man preach and speak the Word of God. Amen? That he stood by the lake of Genezareth and he saw two boats standing off over there by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Okay, so folks passing on motorcycles don't know this. I can drown them out. <clears throat> you see, there is no doubt that these fishermen had heard of Jesus. In fact, it is very possible that they heard Him teach before. And they too had been at awe, not only by the persuasiveness of His preaching, but also by the power of His presence. Not only was His preaching and teaching persuasive, but there was a power just by His very presence. It was like a magnetic field that drew folks to Him. Amen. Now as these fishermen hunched over their nets, picking them clean, I, I can imagine that must have been a cumbersome job. Picking and cleaning those stinky nets. Getting all of the debris and stuff out of them that had gotten collected in them from being in the Sea of Galilee. And they were cleaning their nets and they were picking them clean of the accumulated debris and Jesus' words penetrated their hearts, making a permanent impact on them. You see, no doubt these fishermen were tired. Why, they had been, according to the word, they had been out all night and toiled and labored and had caught nothing. 
Amen? It was a very tedious task of cleaning their nets. Probably much like some of you, you know, all, the, all they wanted to do was just, we want to go home. We're tired, we're weary, we want to get these nets clean and, you know, preacher, wrap this thing up so we can go to the house. And they were wanting to go home, they were tired, and, and, and all they wanted to do was just go home and, and relax and take it easy and get some sleep. However, when Jesus asked Simon to position his boat a little ways offshore, perhaps he might have been a little reluctant, but Simon and his fishing partners consented and they did so. Now I want you to understand that in doing so, these tired, weary fishermen became a captive audience. Now he's got them. They can't get off the boat. They can't run. They can't hide. There they are. They must listen. They became literally a captive audience. Now, to really place an emphasis on the message of the hour, Jesus planned a little object lesson that would be so vivid that these fishermen would never forget its significance. Object lessons will do that to us. There's nothing like a good object lesson to really get our attention. It's the visual aspect of things. We see it and we just, it's, it's forever etched in our minds. Amen? We see these things, these object lessons in life and they are forever etched in our mind and we don't forget them. That's where that idea comes from, you know, what, that, that we, we learn by life's experience. There's things that you and I have learned over the years that we will never forget because we learned the hard way. Amen. Anybody besides me ever learned the hard way? My dad used to say, son, you will learn it one day. It's obvious with you as hard-headed as you are, it's going to be the hard way, but you will learn it. Boy, was he ever right. Jesus planned this object lesson. In fact, the Bible says that when he had stopped speaking, verse number 4, he said to Simon, I want you to launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now immediately, this has Simon's attention. He's just been out there all night. The weather's not right. Probably the temperature of the water's not right. The fish are not schooling. They're not doing the things that are normally accustomed. And they knew when fishing was good and when it wasn't. And now this Jesus of Nazareth has just instructed Simon, I want you to let out a little ways out into the deep and cast your nets for a huge, this enormous catch. Simon Peter being a professional fisherman, if you will, and fishing being his life and his business, must have thought in the back of his mind, you know, Jesus, who, whoever you are, you might just be venturing into waters way over your head here, because I've been out here all night, and, and I know the fish just aren't, they're just not there. I mean, after all, Jesus was just a preacher. He couldn't know too much. Just a preacher. I mean, these guys have all these words. But Simon, the Bible says, Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night. Now you can almost read the sarcasm in Peter's response. I am the professional here, Master, 
And we have toiled all night and caught nothing. But just so I can teach you a lesson or two, and just so I can show you, preacher, you don't know as much about fishing as you think you do, we'll throw out the net, and we'll show you there's not any fish out there to be had today. Well, after all, Peter knew after fishing all night, catching nothing, that the conditions were not favorable. You'd think they'd at least caught a minnow or something. But out of respect for the only, the one he only knew as master, he did as Jesus had asked him to do. But little did Peter realize the extent of the master's domain. Now, I think we have a problem with that, church. I don't think we really grasp the concept of the master's domain. All is necessary for him to do is speak the word. Amen. It doesn't matter how many times we have tried it in the past. It's irrelevant how many times we have cast the net and caught nothing. When he says it's time to cast the net for a great catch, you better get the net in the water because he knows what he's doing. So they go out and I, and you know, I know it's not because of Peter's faith and it's not because of his companion's faith that they caught this great load of fish because they're out there. They're going to prove a point. We're fishermen and we know more than the preacher. We've been out here all night and we know what's going on. We're going to, and we're going to bring it up empty just like we did all the times we cast the net last night. And when they had done this, so they went out at the master's command and said, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Don't you know that Peter had a mindset change immediately? When they began to pull those nets up and it was all that they could possibly do to pull them up and it was about to capsize the boat, it come to his realization, this man who is on this boat with me is not just another man. Peter along with his partners no doubt realized that they stood in the presence of deity. For this Jesus was not simply a preacher with power to heal. He was Lord of the entire universe. Let me tell you today, my friend, He is still Lord of the entire universe. Amen. He still has His way in the whirlwind and the storm. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as He commanded this great catch with these disciples, He can and has and will command a great catch today if we'll be willing to cast the net of our witness into the sea of humanity. In fact, the words that follow this recognition are reminiscent of the experiences of such men as Abraham and Job and Isaiah when they too stood before the awesome presence of God. Here's what, here's how Simon Peter responded when, whew, 
man, all of these fish were, they were just caught in these nets and they were about to sink and they had to call for help and both boats were full and they were both, whew, they were both so full about to capsize and Peter said when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. No, he said, Peter in his mind is saying, no, this isn't just a prophet. This man isn't just a powerful preacher. This is the Lord of the universe. For he and all who, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Friend, this is an illustration and an object lesson that would forever change their minds. And as you might suspect, as the boats filled with fish, the fishermen's hearts filled with awe. Speechless, they were now primed for what was to prove a life-changing announcement. Jesus makes eye contact with Simon. Looks him eye face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and he said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Them boys were trembling. They were in the presence of a holy God, and they were trembling. They were afraid. They didn't know what to expect next. They didn't know what to do next. They didn't know what to turn. They didn't even know what to say next other than Peter fell before him and confessed. He was a sinner and said, Lord, I need to get out of your presence right now because you're holy and I'm not. And Jesus said to him, don't, don't, don't worry about that, Peter. Don't, don't concern yourself with that. But look at me, Peter said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. From now on, you will catch men. You see, it's important to understand, Jesus wasn't giving these rough, seasoned fishermen a lesson in fishing. They didn't need that. They were well-versed in how to fish. That's how they made their living. Quite well, I might add. He wasn't trying to teach them how to fish or how to be more productive or how to fatten their wallets or how to do this thing. His objective was to change their profession. By changing their lives. He wanted to change their profession by changing their lives. And change their lives he did. In fact, verse 11 says it. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all and followed Him. Let me ask you this. Are you casting the net of your witness over the sea of humanity? I want you to notice the disciples forsook everything. You mean, preacher, you, you, mean, you mean everything? The biggest catch these fishermen had ever seen or ever made, they forsook. Their boats, their nets, their livelihood, their homes, their families, everything. Without an over-the-shoulder glance, without even a second thought. 
they left all to follow Jesus. If we are to live above the level of spiritual mediocrity, we must be ready and able and willing to cast our net of witness into the sea of humanity. He's not asking you to bait a line and a hook and try to lure people into the church. He's not asking us to try to find a favorite lure or whatever it might be. You know, why don't you come out to my church because we have this and we have... He is wanting you to cast your witness, your net of witness into the sea of humanity and He will do the job. Amen. He's not wanting us to entice folks by our abilities and by our strengths or by all that we are or have. He's wanting us to simply cast the net into the sea of humanity and let our witness and our testimony do what it's designed to do. And that's draw folks to Him. Hallelujah. I know I'm probably preaching to the choir today. Except for those who may be listening via the internet or by CD or tape. But there's so much more for us to realize and see in the spiritual realm. There's so much more for us to anticipate and know and experience in our walk with God than where we are right now. I believe that the lessons that we can learn from this illustration revolve around three pairs of verbs. And at the, at the risk of sounding like I'm making a play on words this morning, I want you to listen to this very carefully. The three pair of verbs that I want to build this illustration around before I close is chooses and uses, moves and proves, conceals and reveals. Chooses and uses, moves and proves, conceals and reveals. First of all, Jesus chooses not to minister all alone. I said He chooses not to minister all alone. Jesus deliberately involves others in His work. He has deliberately involved you and I in His ministry. You see, He could have rowed the boat and cast the net Himself. He could have just talked to the boat. And he could have given that boat coordinates as to where he wanted it in that lake. And that boat would have appeared there. Amen. Oh, so I'm preacher now that's pushing out. No, I'm telling you. He's the creator. That boat would have obeyed him. He could have gone out there and he could have called the fish to all jump in the boat. They'd have knocked the fishermen out jumping in because they would have obeyed Him. So understand, He has deliberately chose us. He could have rowed the boat and cast the net Himself, but instead, He included the disciples. He didn't want a boatload of spectators. He wanted workers accustomed to rolling up their sleeves and feeling the tug on the nets and the sweating side by side as they pull. Man, that must have been some hard work. I know nothing about it, so it's hard for me to try to dramatize and illustrate what it must have been like for those fishermen with the bare hands trying to pull that net. You see how I'm sweating up here and I'm just preaching. You can imagine what them boys are going through. 
when Jesus recruited disciples, He didn't say, follow me and watch me catch men. He announced, you will be catching men. How, how about you and I today? You see, excellence in the Christian life requires casting our net of witness into the sea of humanity. Spiritual mediocrity lies tanning on the beach. Watching the fishing boats of others sail right on by. Amen? Hallelujah. Second thing I want you to notice is Jesus uses the familiar to do the incredible. I said He uses the familiar to do the incredible. Boats, nets, fish, all quite routine for that day. That was customary. That was their livelihood around the Sea of Galilee. Around Lake Genezaret, whichever you want to call it. Or by the Sea of Tiberias. That was their livelihood. Everywhere you looked, there were boats. Just like if you go out over here to the Gulf of Mexico or go, go drive around the Palo Beach, that's all you're going to see is boats. Now most of them are pleasure boats, I grant you, but you'll see boats. You know, I've always been told that the best day of a man's life is when he buys his boat and when he sells it. I don't know if there's any truth to that or not. My, my son says there is. He, he has a boat, and after he spent a small fortune, gets it running and it'll quit, gets it running and it'll quit, gets it running and it'll quit, and he threatens to sell it. Anyway, there were boats everywhere. However, it is in the grind of the everyday world where God reveals His glory. You hear me? It's in the grind of the everyday world that God reveals His glory. It's where you work. It's where you live. It's where you interact with other human beings. Is where God wants to reveal His glory. He wants to reveal His glory in you. He wants the world to know and see what He's done in you and through you and for you. He wants you to cast that net of witness into the sea of humanity so that the world can know He still changes lives today. Well, preacher, they might not think as much of me if they know where I come from. It doesn't matter. They need to know what God has done for you. They need to know how He's taken you from the ashes of destruction and raised you up and lifted you up and done miraculous things in your life. Amen. He'll take what is familiar to you and He'll reveal His glory. He'll take what your profession and your craft is and He will reveal His glory. You will be amazed at how the Lord Jesus can use you in your sphere of influence to do an incredible work for Him. If we just let Him. And He will bring excellence out of even meager and mediocre surroundings. Amen. I said He will bring excellence out of even meager and mediocre surroundings. The next thing I want you to notice is Jesus moves from the safety of the seen to make us trust Him through the risk of the unseen. Ooh, preacher, you could have went a long time without saying that. Again, He moves us from the safety of the seen to make us trust Him through the risk of the unseen. Jesus took these fishermen past the shallows and into the deep water to cast their nets. Get out into the deep. Go on, get on out there where the water, 
where the water is deep. You see, if God is calling you to launch a similar boat of faith, and you're teetering on the brink of that decision, we cannot afford to be afraid. We must venture out. Oh, that didn't go over so good, did it? We must be willing to venture out. You see, the master of the wind and waves is in this boat with us. I said, he's in the boat with us. The next thing I want you to notice is Jesus proves our potential by breaking our nets and filling our boats. He proves our potential by breaking our nets and filling our boats. You see, this catch of fish here in Luke chapter 5 that I have used for this illustration clearly points out God's ability to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ever ask or think. He's not asking you to become a Bible scholar to be a witness. He's not asking you to become a Bible scholar in order to have a testimony. Peter James and John, they were fishermen. Now, please don't misunderstand. I do not want to degrade or to lessen the importance of or the value of a fisherman, but these men were not educated and trained in the finer schools of that day. Hallelujah. God's ability to do exceedingly abundantly above beyond all that we can ask or think. You see, these fishermen had never had such a catch. A catch so great that their nets begin to break and their boats begin to sink. It was a record-breaking day. And if we will lay aside our skepticism and lay aside and lay it aside long enough to lower our nets. Oh, preacher, we've been doing this a long time, man. You know. We've been at this thing. We've been throwing our lines in the water and we've been choosing this bait and we've been choosing that bait. We went and bought new rods and reels. We put heavier test line on because we're losing a few because we can't get them into the boat and the line breaks. <clears throat> I better move quickly. It's not what he asked us to do. He said, cast your net. You will become fishers of men. Fishers of men, take that testimony, take where God has brought you from, and let it trans. Let it. Let it just throw it out there, and watch what God does with it. God will amaze you with His ability to fill your net. He will. I'm telling you, He will. Next, Jesus conceals His surprises until we follow. His leading. You hear me? If you forget everything else, don't forget this. Jesus conceals his surprises until we follow his leading. You see, it was fairly routine for these fishermen to launch their boats and head toward the place where they had, where they would cast their nets. They, they knew the water pretty well. A good fisherman, I promise you, Bishop could take you out on a boat some places he's been out on the Gulf of Mexico and without the Loran and without all of these, he could get you pretty close because he's been there enough times. These fishermen knew where to go. 
They knew all the right spots to fish. And this time was no different. The water didn't glow. There wasn't any glowing spot on the water. Said, come, come, come over here. Here's where the fish are at. There wasn't a halo around the boat. The oars were just as heavy that night as they were any other night. You see, the surprise didn't come until they lowered their nets. The Sea of Galilee looked no different that night. Or the Sea of Gennesaret looked no different that night than it did any other time. Or that day. It looked just the same. The surprise didn't come until they followed His Word and they cast out the net. At that... And that is when Peter realized Jesus was more than just a powerful preacher. He was Lord. Let me ask you, when was the last time God surprised you? When was the last time you just threw your witness out there and God surprised you? When was the last time you took him at his word and he almost broke your mental nets with a display of his lordship over this world? His lordship over circumstances and his lordship over people. Last thing I want you to notice is that Jesus reveals his objective to those who are willing to relinquish their security. This is really important. Jesus reveals his objective to those who are willing to relinquish their security. Only after the disciples gave up the safety of the shore did Jesus finally reveal his purpose. I like the shore. I like the security of shore. I'm not a fisherman. I'm not a seafaring man. I, I just get sick as a dog. If I don't take uh, Dramamine a couple weeks before I go out on a boat, you don't want to be around. It's a sad looking mess. Really. You wag your head and go, oh God, you need to take him now because he's not going to make it. And I turn this, this, these colors of green like there's no green you've ever seen before. And, and, and oh, Lord, it's a mess. So I'm, I'm not a seafaring man, so I like the shore. I like to have my feet firmly planted on. Even when my wife and I venture out on one of these big old ocean cruise liners, I have to get them pills out and take them a week or so before I go or I'll be, I'll be begging for them to come and fly me back to land. So I like the safety and the security of shore, but, but you see, it's when we give up that safety of shore that we will finally, Jesus will finally reveal His purpose. And from now on, you see, we're going to be catching men. Amen? If we are ever to live above spiritual mediocrity, we cannot be landlubbers hugging the shore. We have to launch out into the sometimes deep waters. And that means more than dangling our feet in the shallows. You see, spiritual mediocrity will bid us. It will bid us just like a seductive siren. To rest secure on the shore where things are good, where things are safe. We don't want to disturb too much, preacher. We don't, you know, things are good, you know, life is good. We have good church and, and we, don't, we don't want to get, you know, things too topsy-turvy here. We don't, you know, we want to be careful who we choose to come and be a part, you know. Oh boy. We want to. I'm, I'm trying to be real careful here. 
So I'm weighing my words cautiously. You know, we want to make sure that the folks that we try to influence are folks that will be a, be a benefit and a help and a, to the church. And we just need to throw the net. Brother Master used to take me fishing down on the Sarasota Bay. You'd throw your line in the water, and there'd be a half a dozen of those ladyfish hit it before it hardly hit the water. Them are the nastiest, slimiest, worthless fish that I know of. You have to take a towel or something and literally hold on to them because they are so slimy. Once you get that, am I telling the truth? Once you get that slime on you, you will not get it off until you go bathe and wash. They'll beat you up. They'll tear your line up. So you're going to catch some fish once in a while that are not going to be what you want to keep. They're going to smell bad. They're going to be hard to keep a hold of. But you just need to throw out the net. Let him decide who the net will come around. Y'all get my picture, I can tell. Y'all get my point. We just need to throw out the net. Boy, when we caught one of those speckled trout, though, drug him up to the boat, we got the ruler out, stretched him, boy. I mean, we stretched him out to make sure he was... We wanted to keep that speckled trout. He was good eating. Y'all ought to come and sing. I gotta, I gotta stop. Like a seductive siren will be drawn to mediocrity. However, the pursuit of spiritual excellence calls for us to set sail into the waters of faith. As they're making their way forward, I want to point out one last thing. What we have looked at here today in the Word of God actually occurred. This was not a parable. This was actually an event which Jesus took a natural occasion, something that these folks were familiar with and accustomed to, and he taught them the most valuable lesson of all, and that is how to become fishers of men. For these early disciples and these apostles, it mattered not to them who approached them. I promise you, they were going to hear about what Jesus had done for them. As the years passed and the events transpired and God had done so much in the lives of these early warriors, they had a story to tell. They had some things, and some of you, I'm looking in the face of some of you all today that have a story to tell about what Jesus has done for you. When folks start patting you on the back and speaking nice things to you about what a wonderful person you are, stop them for a moment and say, oh, but I owe it all to Him. You see, I wasn't once this nice guy you all know. 
But thanks be to God and His transforming power of His Holy Spirit. They could tell of experience when they spent days and nights in jail and prison and shipwrecked and all of these things. They could say, look what God has brought me through. That's all He's asking. When you cast your net of witness into the sea of humanity, just be ready to tell them, look what Jesus Christ has done for me. Would you stand?